Well, we've come to our last uh, time in the book of Job. And I don't know about you, but Job's uh, in many ways become a friend just in uh, studying about his life. He's uh, had a tragic life, at least during this period of his uh, trials and sufferings. What I'd like to do in this last uh, session is just to focus on some of the major themes that I think are important that we can take with us as we face our own sufferings and trials and afflictions in this life. So what I want to begin with is uh, really kind of the first major truth that we're confronted with in the book of Job, and that is that God is sovereign. Uh, Job was not the victim of bad luck. He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. He wasn't at the mercy of the schemes of Satan, though Satan certainly played a part in this, but that God was completely and totally sovereign and in control of what happened to Job. We see in verse 8 of Job chapter 1, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So God initiated this whole ordeal that is going to come upon Job God initiated it. He started it. And then in verse 12, after Satan accused God that uh, uh, basically the only reason why Job worships you is because you've blessed him so much. But if you just take away all of his possessions and all of his blessings, then Job will curse you to your face. So the Lord then responds to Satan in verse 12, and He says, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So God controlled the extent of the trial and put limits on it. God is totally in control. Satan can only do what God allows him to do. The very same thing happens in chapter 12. So in chapter 1, he loses all of his children. He loses all of his wealth. He loses everything. He's bankrupt. And then in chapter 2, he's going to lose his health and suffer tremendously bodily. But the same thing happens in chapter 2. God initiates it. He says basically the same thing. If you consider my servant Job, he still holds his integrity. He still trusts in me. He still acknowledges me and worships me. Have you considered my servant Job? And so then the whole thing is, well, touch his body, touch his life, and he'll curse you. So God again tells him that he's in Satan's hands, but Satan cannot take away his life he can take away all of his health but he can't take away his life so the book consistently throughout all 42 chapters acknowledges that God is the sovereign cause of the afflictions even though Satan was the immediate agent in chapter 1 and 2 he totally fades to the background Job and all of his friends acknowledge it's God that did this God did it God did it throughout the whole book So there's no doubt at all that the theology of the book of Job is that God is totally sovereign. This also indicates if God is sovereign, that God has the right to deal with His creatures as He so chooses. 
if God is our Creator and we are His creatures and God is totally sovereign, then God can deal with you according to His will and His purpose. Paul emphasizes this in Romans chapter 9 in a bit of a different context. But he says, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter not have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Now this is in the context of election and reprobation. But it's basically just saying God is the Master, God is the Creator, God is the Sovereign. We are creatures, we are sinful creatures, and God can deal with us however He so pleases. And we have to accept that. That God is totally sovereign. And this also applies to believers, because in the life of the believer whom He has chosen for salvation... It doesn't mean that God owes you or me a trouble-free life. He certainly didn't owe Job that. That God is not obligated to make your life easy or prosperous or healthy. Many of God's choicest children don't have those blessings. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ... But that does not guarantee every physical and temporal blessing on earth. God can do as He pleases. God chose to subject Job, a godly, righteous, God-fearing man, to some of the most cruel and diabolical schemes of the devil. And Job had no knowledge of why he's being tested. He had no voice in it. He had no choice in it. But God ordained that He would test and send these afflictions on someone who loved Him and was a genuine, godly individual. Seems like Job is like an expendable victim in a tragic storyline. And that's why when we understand in the book of Job that God is sovereign, we must never divorce that attribute of God from all of His other attributes. The Scriptures remind us that God is love. That the Lord is good. That His loving kindness is everlasting. That His faithfulness to all generations. That God is gracious and merciful. That He's our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. That He's infinite in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And when we think of God being sovereign, that can be a bitter pill for God's people if you don't understand that our God is also all these other things as well. And because God is sovereign, and because God is all these other glorious attributes combined in one, we must never forget it. Because oftentimes when trials and difficulties come into our life, we begin to think in terms of God not loving us, or God maybe even being cruel, or God is uncompassionate, 
And so we began to react to God's frowning providences, the trials, the afflictions in our life with grumbling and complaining, just like Job did. We may even think that God is unjust. Why is God sending this into my life? And our default mindset, because of our frail and fallen nature, is oftentimes just to react negatively to our trials and to complain against God. But we must learn, and I think Job teaches us this, that we must always interpret our crosses in light of God's character. Because the crosses that he sends doesn't just come from a God who is totally sovereign, but a God who loves his children. He's good to his children. He shows loving kindness and faithfulness and grace and mercy and understanding to his children so that we have to interpret our crosses according to the fullness of his character and to believe them and trust in them. God is worthy of our trust. The danger of the book of Job is that they all had bad theology. God gives us what we deserve. So that Job thought that God was unjust because God shouldn't be rewarding me with these afflictions and these trials and these sufferings because I've been righteous. So God should reward me with blessings. So they had bad theology. That was their pretty much their full understanding of how God deals with men. It's according to our merit, according to our works, according to what we deserve. And that simply is not the case. Because He can be gracious and merciful. And because His wisdom is infinite, there are things that we don't understand. So this is why the will of God is oftentimes, when it comes to our suffering, it's a mystery to us. We simply cannot figure out why God is allowing these things to come into my life. Why do I have to deal with this? Why are these problems and trials in my life, why are they such a burden? And oftentimes we struggle with understanding God's purpose and will. He's in control. He's behind it. But oftentimes from our vantage point, it's a total mystery. Now we're, we're no, we, we do know because we're told why Job is suffering so that God could prove Job's faith to Satan even though Job had no clue that that was the reason. And I suppose in the remaining 140 years that he had to live once we got to chapter 42 and, and there was a happy ending to the story, during that time period, God must have revealed to Job the insights that were given in chapter 1 and 2. But he didn't have it through the book. It's all a mystery to him. He couldn't understand it. He wrestled with it. He struggled with it. So that the trials for Job was a mystery. And our trials oftentimes are a mystery. We can't figure them out. We can't decipher them. They're incomprehensible to us. The mind of God doesn't make sense to us. We're, we're perplexed by it. We're in a maze and we don't know which way to turn. And it seems like God is not guiding us. And we wrestle with all these things. Because the ways of God seem hidden from us. But finite minds cannot fully comprehend an infinite God. 
I mean, we can't even understand another finite mind, can we? I mean, husbands and wives, do you understand your, your spouse on the way they do the things they do or what motivated them to do something? I mean, sometimes it's kind of like, what, what, what were you thinking or, or when they think that towards us? We can't even understand the reasons of a finite mind, much less an infinite mind. And how can we understand God's purpose in mind when I can walk into a room and, and then immediately get hit? Why, why did I come into this room? What was I trying to, to get? I can't remember what I came to do. I mean, our minds are so limited and frail, it's just natural that God's infinite wisdom and mind will oftentimes be a mystery to us. Scripture tells us that in effect, you could more easily jump to the moon than understand the ways of God. Look at what Isaiah wrote. God said through the prophet Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. It will be natural and normal for us when confronted with issues that come into our life to say it's a mystery. I do not understand it. That was true of Job, and that will be true of you and me. We must learn to live and be at peace with not understanding necessarily what God is doing by the trials and the troubles that you have in your life. Scripture reminds us of it. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You make your plans. You're going to go this way. God directs your steps this way. Well, why am I going this way? I plan to go this way. You can't understand it, but God is directing you. He's directing your steps. You're not directing your steps. You're planning your way, but the actual reality of what happens is in God's hands. Jeremiah says, I know, Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Direct our steps. God does. That's why in Proverbs 20, verse 24, Solomon wrote, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand His way? We must learn to be at peace with not understanding why God is doing what He's doing in our life. We just simply cannot understand it. A finite mind cannot understand the infinite mind of God. What we do have are promises like Romans 8, 28, that we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, we all love this verse, don't we? But how many of us really believe it? Do we really believe it? Many times, I don't believe it. I love it, but I don't believe it because I worry. Or I get stressed out. Or I become discouraged. But if I really believe that God is going to work all things together for good in my life, then that ought to minimize all of that. But yet I can still struggle with it a lot of times. But if we really believed, then we should have hope and peace in the midst of the storm. So that the character of God, if we believe that God is loving and sovereign and merciful and kind and compassionate and good to His children, if we interpret our troubles by God's character, 
then it can definitely help us to find peace in the midst of it. So let's say there's a very razor sharp knife that cuts you open in the middle. And you're bleeding. And you're exposed. How do you understand it? Is it from the hand of a criminal who wants to do you evil and harm? Or is it the hand of a skilled surgeon that wants to remove the cancer to save your life? See, it depends on the character of who you say ultimately is holding the knife. And that character is our God. And if He is good and loving and kind and faithful and merciful and compassionate and will bring good out of it, then even that terrible wound, we can understand that God will bring good from it. So it may all appear to be a mystery to us. It certainly was to Job throughout the book. But all we need to know is that God is in control and that God knows what He's doing. He's working His holy plan, His purpose in your life, and He's doing it for our good. And that ultimately it's the holy hand of God that holds all the, the knives that jab their way into our life. But He's going to do it for good. So the character of God, which Job struggled with because he had a very limited understanding of God's character. But the fullness of God's character should certainly encourage us encourage us to persevere in faith. Even with the limited understanding of God, Job persevered in faith during his ordeal. This is the, this is the lesson of the book of Job that James picked up on. He says in James 5.11, we count those blessed who endured. And you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. And I think throughout Job's life, even though he didn't have the understanding of God's character that we find in the rest of Scripture, he had enough that he never lost his faith and hope and trust in God. He continued to trust the Lord. I think what James is emphasizing here is Job's persevering faith and the positive finish, the good outcome that he had. And I think what Job encourages all of us to do is whatever trials we're facing today or may face tomorrow is to persevere in trusting in the Lord. Now remember the trials of Job. Remember what he went through. He he lost everything. Totally destitute. I mean, here's a man of incredible wealth that lost it all. I mean, he became like a homeless person. Someone who had lived in a palace and now he's living in a street in an ash dump outside the city. He lost everything. He lost all ten of his precious children. He lost all of his possessions. All of his wealth. And then his health was broken. Afflicted with boils that caused intense and agonizing irritation and pain. It radically deformed his appearance. He lost his, his wife turned on him. His family deserted him. His friends despised him. And worst of all, he felt the, the hand of God was against him. That God had abandoned him. That's where he's at. He's at the bottom of a dark hole. And yet, an incredible, by the grace of God, obviously, 
He never lost his faith in God, even though he started viewing God as his adversary. And this is the contradiction in Job's mind through the book. God is his adversary. Yet, God, I have no one else to turn to but you. I hope in you. And he never lost that hope, even though the way he interpreted his circumstances was wrong. But he never lost his faith and hope and trust in God. So we see the incredible triumph of his faith throughout the book. That's what James is emphasizing. His faith endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. He never turned his back on God. He kept crying out for God to intervene. He trusted God to eventually come and set things right. So quickly, I just want to review some of these wonderful verses in Job that speak of his persevering faith to encourage us as well in our struggles. Job 23, verse 10, Job says, But he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God knows. God knows everything about me. God knows everything that's happening. But when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see the persevering faith. You see the positive finish. He believes that through all that he's gone through, that he's going to emerge out of this as gold. That he'll be refined. That he'll be improved. And that he'll come out as gold. After all the fires of afflictions, of being in the furnace, being melted down, being torn apart by all these destructive things that are happening in his life. You can see how his faith is, is so confident. He persevering, trusting in God that the end result will be good. I will come forth as gold. What an incredible faith in light of everything he was going through. Job 23.14 For He performs what is appointed for me and many such decrees are, within, are with Him. And here Job just expresses his confidence of God's control and God's plans for his life. I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I know you're appointing. You have appointed for me. All of this has happened. You're performing it. And you have many decrees with me, but I'm going to trust in you in the midst of it. You see that that faith just bubbling up to the surface. Though he's sinking in quicksand, his faith is buoyant. And he's trusting God. He's looking to God. In Job chapter 19, verse 25 and 26, Job says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will take His stand on the earth. And even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. So here he expresses his confidence in God as his Redeemer. This is the Hebrew word for the kinsman Redeemer. The Goel is the Hebrew word. That he believes that God ultimately will redeem him. God will save him. God will vindicate him. That's his confidence. That I know that my Redeemer lives and at last He will come down to earth 
And even after I die and my skin is destroyed and I go through death, from my flesh I shall be resurrected and I shall see God. He had an incredible confidence that in some way, somehow, God was going to bring good out of all this that's happened to him. Confident of a Redeemer. Confident of a future resurrection that from his flesh which has died will somehow be made alive again and he will actually see God with his eyes. What an incredible faith. And this is long before the doctrine of the resurrection has been developed in Scripture. And yet the, the Spirit of God is giving him something to cling on to. He's still hoping in God. He's still looking to God. And then in chapter 13, verse 15, Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. Persevering faith. Even though, God, You kill me. And I don't understand what's going on and You may end up killing me, God. But I'm going to hope in You. I'm never going to lose my hope in You. That's a persevering faith. I think what Job challenges all of us is to never lose hope and confidence in God. Remember, the character of God, more than just sovereign, He is loving, good, merciful, infinite in wisdom. He has a purpose and a plan that may be mysterious to us, but hope in God, He promised He'll bring good out of it in the end. And that's what Job was clinging to. So when when James noted, again, that we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. That's what James took away from from Job. He persevered in faith and it all came out well in the end. Again, this is no guarantee that if God has taken away things, He's going to give the exact same things back twofold. Not a guarantee. But the promise is still true. He's going to work it for good in your life. And ultimately, that good will be consummated in the glory of heaven itself. God brings good out of evil for His children. God allows sufferings in your life, trials in your life, for reasons that we may not understand. But the Scriptures tell us some of those will be medicines for our souls. And the final outcome is always a blessing. Paul's thorn in his side. A messenger of Satan. Just like what Job had. Job had his thorn in his his side in effect also. A messenger of Satan. Yet why did God ordain that for such a godly man like the Apostle Paul? It's to bring good out of it. To help Him, to humble Him so that all the revelations of, of new covenant truth that He received would not make Him arrogant and proud and full of... And, and full of a, a condescending attitude towards others. No, God gave Him that to do Him good on the spiritual realm. To keep Him humble. To keep him close to Christ and fellowship with the Lord. That's why God did it. Is that good? Was that good for Paul? Definitely good. Incredible blessing for him. And God may do the same for us. 
can God bring good out of the evil that's in your life? Of course He can. That's what the book of Job is encouraging us to believe. Ultimately, our crosses today are preparing us for a glorious crown in heaven. I always love this passage every time I read it in 2 Corinthians 4 when the Apostle Paul understood this and shared it with us. He said, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And Paul could say, look, my outer man is falling apart. I am decaying. But my soul, my inner man, it's like I'm getting younger every day. Because my focus is not upon what I'm losing in this world. My focus is on what I'm gaining in heaven because of Jesus Christ. And that gave him joy. That gave him peace. Because God has promised that He's always going to work good out of evil in the lives of His children. I think one of the the main messages of the book of Job, for me anyway, is just how important it is to trust in God and to know that God is worthy of our trust. And I think in response to the book of Job, you and I need to examine our hearts and resign ourselves particularly if we're going through some difficult circumstance today, to trust in God. And if we're not going through a trial today, to, to log this in the back of our mind that God is worthy of our trust. Today, tomorrow, until we enter into His presence. We have to understand and remind ourselves that God's love for you is not measured by how many days you're allotted on this earth. God's love for you is not measured by how much money you have in the bank or your investments. God's love for you is not measured by how happy or discouraged you are on the, on the meter of happiness. But ultimately, God's love for us is seen in the eternal wealth of the glory we'll share with Christ forever and ever. And that is why Peter reminds us Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, and all of our suffering is according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. We just need to entrust our souls to God. He made us. He's the potter. He can do with us whatever He wants. But you entrust your soul into God's hand knowing He's going to do what's right. Because He is a sovereign God, a good God, a holy God, a compassionate and gracious God. And we can trust Him because of who He is. And He will do what is right in His eyes in our life. Someone once wrote a little poem It says, trust Him when dark clouds... I'm sorry. Trust Him when dark doubts assail you. Trust Him when your strength is small. 
trust Him when to simply trust Him seems the hardest thing of all. But trust Him. He is ever faithful. Trust Him for His will is best. Trust Him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. I have a friend that has recently gone through a horrendous battle with stage 4 cancer. And I asked his permission to share his story. But he had to go through chemo and radiation that made him sicker than a dog, nauseated, always throwing up. He had to put a feeding tube in him, which he has had for like eight months. Hasn't been able to eat any solid food for that time period. This disease and the chemo and the radiation was so severe uh, that basically he he was starving because he, he couldn't really hold food down and the feeding tube would malfunction. And, and he used to weigh 300 pounds and now he's down to 165. He had to shut down his business, retire, lost his income from his business. The feeding tube was always a problem. Just recently, he had to go to the ICU because he was so weak, he couldn't even hardly stand up. When he said that he was going to go into the ICU, I, back of my mind, I started thinking, this is probably the end. That he would probably never come out of the hospital. He contacted me a few days ago. And by the grace of God, just... He has turned a corner. He wrote that he anticipated being moved out of the ICU. He anticipated that maybe that day or the next they would actually even remove the feeding tube that he had relied on for eight months. And he said the day before he had solid food for the first time in eight months. He was free of nausea and pain that he had wrestled with for months and months. And he said that the thing on his heart that he most was looking forward to is leaving the hospital, going to be with his family, and going to church on Sunday. He wanted to gather with God's people and worship. The next day he sent me another email that said this, He said, my only prayer for myself right now is that the Lord would use my experience over the last eight months to make me a different person. A better person. More loving, more kind, more patient, more unselfish and humble. More devoted to Him and my family. And more willing to serve others. It's been a hard go. But it would be a shame if it didn't change me in some way for the better. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Did all of his cancer and all of his suffering, did God work that for the good? You can't measure God's blessing of goodness by material things. I don't think he lost his business. He can't go back there. You can't measure the love of God by the physical, tangible things we can hold. You measure His love and you measure His goodness 
by the spiritual grace that he gives, ultimately in the heaven that Christ provides. That's God's goodness, ultimate goodness for all of his children. So don't measure God's goodness by your temporal blessings, but by the eternal blessings. Can we trust God to keep His promises? Will God bring good out of evil in your life, even when you don't understand what God is doing? Is God worthy of our trust? And I think the book of Job shouts out, yes and amen, glory to God. Our God is worthy of our trust. No matter the crosses that you bear, no matter the burdens that you carry, Jesus Christ will use that to do good to you in the end. Trust Him. Entrust your souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. For our God is sovereign, but He's more than sovereign. He's loving, good, compassionate, merciful. And He's going to bless His children. And the greatest blessing He wants to give us is to make us like His Son, Jesus Christ, who had to bear the cross before He wore the crown. And the Lord wants us to enter into that fellowship that one day we can be with Him in glory forever. Book of Job again answers those questions. God is definitely worthy of our trust. May we trust Him in our time of sufferings as well. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father God, we want to thank You for the book of Job. There's so much there, Lord, and we in many ways just skim the surface, but we thank You for this overriding encouragement to trust in You in the time of sorrows and difficulties and losses and crosses. Because Lord, of Your character, You have promised good to Your children. And though we don't understand what You're doing, and it's oftentimes a mystery to us, and we don't like the suffering, it is hard, it is difficult, it breaks our hearts. And yet, Lord, we look to You. We find in Your character a solace, a comfort, a rock in the midst of the storm. And like Job, Father, we would ask that You would help us to trust and believe in You because You have promised to work good through all the circumstances in our life. And thank You for that. We give You praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.